what what's great about Night of the Ten Thousands is it's it's unique in that there isn't another UK night of distance running like that. Therefore, people are turning up to this one very special occasion in the year, whether it's a couple of thousand of them or more, and they're all pulling in the same direction. Everybody wants it to be a great night. I don't even think I've been to a party that was as fun as Night of the Ten Cases. It can never be replicated. People try to copy it, but Highgate is Highgate and you can only have one a year. We're going to put it all on a platter and we're going to celebrate it. And that's, my, that's what it deserves, I think, is our amazing sport needs to be celebrated better. I got there and I thought we were at a festival or something like basically something for everyone. Honestly, if I get PB, I would be really happy about it. Flames firing all over the place, there's a DJ screaming away, there's... Athletes might get spectator beer spilt on them, spectators might get athletes sweat. That is a night I, I will never forget. Like, that will live with me for the rest of my life. Thanks for joining me for The Big Run. Welcome to this special series of preview podcasts to celebrate the return of the night of the 10,000 metre PBs. From Monday to Friday of this week and next, there will be a brand new episode talking to key figures of the event's past and future as we look forward to the return of the Glastonbury of Athletics on May 14th. The Big Run is proud to be partnering with Night of the 10Ks and we are grateful to the support of Like the Wind magazine. Like the Wind is an independent journal telling stories about why we run. They'll be producing a special programme for all attendees of the event at Parliament Hill on May 14th. You can find out more about the magazine and all of the relevant links in today's show notes. Today's guest is athletics TV commentator and consultant, Brighton Marathon founder and 1984 Olympian Tim Hutchins. Tim. How are you? That's oh, okay. Oh, yeah. This is Aaron. Aaron's going to take you shots today. Can we get the ice creams in now? What do you reckon? Tim joined myself and Aaron McCaskill at Ditchling Beacon in East Sussex to take in the views, enjoy an ice cream, and chat all things athletics and nights of the 10,000 meter PBs. Yeah, we got here a little bit, which is quite nice. Okay, let's wander. Should, should let's we walk and talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know obviously people listening to this are going to probably be well versed in, in you and who you are, but I thought it might be quite good for to start things off with maybe give yourself a little intro, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, you're kind of the ABCs of Tim, can you bear that? The expression on your face seems to tell otherwise. How long have you got? <laughs> when you get to my age there's a lot of, a lot of history. No, I'm, um, I mean this is sort of my home patch, Sussex, mid-Sussex, you know, we're up in the Downs here, just, just, above, just above Brighton. Um, and uh, went to private school up here in Mid-Sussex. Mum, mum worked at the school, that's why I was my brother and I were able to go there, but it's not like I was born with a silver spoon or anything like that. One or two brothers, he's the clever half. He went to Oxford, did law, became a very successful lawyer, is now retired and living in paradise down in Dorset. Um, and I'm a jobbing TV commentator, having got it, come out of professional running at 30. You know, it was quite good through my 20s, picked up an injury, couple of operations, career ended. Didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Um, basically sort of drifted into commentary. I was very, very lucky. I owe everything to athletics. I met my, my wife, then wife, through track and field and 
Uh, she was a high jumper. We've got two lovely kids living up in London, both working in London. And here I am at 63, still enjoying it. I'd, I'd like to retire one day, but I'm, I'm getting too much fun out of it and too much travelling and too many mates in the industry to want to retire anytime soon. Mm-hmm. What was that switch like? I'm really interested in that switch from from stepping back from being a competitive athlete to turning to commentary. What's it like being on the other side, so to speak? Uh, it was quite hard at first because, you, you know, when you get in, injured, if, if you retire because of injury, it's forced on you. And I think we all fight that retirement. We, you know, you try very hard. I, I probably spent 18 months getting physio and manipulation and um, injections and just tons of treatment before and this is what was your injury it was sort of high up in my in my top of my hamstring up in my buttock i think it's a fairly common injury but i think nowadays they know what to do with it it was just a, a chronic tightness of the top of the hamstring and it used to hurt when you were driving and you couldn't do speed work and that sort of thing and th- this is this is 1989 don't forget it's pre-internet no mobile phones it's it's like the stone age so there was no way of going onto the internet and just searching great surgeons or great people who can fix this problem or great mm. medics if even if it wasn't invasive stuff so i eventually you know got operated on in london it was a complete bloody disaster um somebody else went in a year later to tidy up the mess this first guy had made that wasn't much more of a success and by this point i hadn't been able to train really hard and and uh optimally for about two and a half years and of course, I was 32, 33. You're thinking, well, you know, I'm not earning the money I was earning. I'm looking at starting a family. You've had a good run at it. And, and, and you end up almost not being defeatist, but I'd been running in, in what running I had been doing had been in quite a lot of pain mm. for two or three years. And eventually, you're just, just managing it. Yeah. Yeah, just managing it and, 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 you know, going to races and picking up a few bob when you weren't really that fit and you don't feel good about that because you don't run well. Moving into commentary, was, was, I was really lucky. I, I, I just, you know, a few interviews on ITV and BBC and that sort of thing and they obviously thought, well, he can speak a bit. Um, and I don't know if it was that much of a rarity at the time, but, but anyway, I got asked to go and do some sort of colour commentary with um, Ian Dark, who now, of course, is a very well-known football commentator, Darkie, and Stuart Story. And Stuart had been with Beeb and Eurosport and people for, for time immemorial and had been a, an Olympian himself in the high hurdles. And they were lovely blokes, really good welcoming guys. They were both probably back then in their 50s. I was 30-odd. And, and we had a really good laugh, great time. Eurosport used to send us all over the place. And... Um, then uh, basically they went off in different directions and Eurosport said, well, look, Tim, do you want to be our main athletics commentator? And I'd learned the ropes from them in many respects, a lot of the essentials. And it was... No, what well, are the essentials? The essentials are... Oh, God, well... Because I think people take it for granted, I think, the skill in commentary. Well, well, I think you're right. I think a lot of people just go, oh, I can talk. Let me... Let me t- I, you yeah, know, exactly. I know about women's hammer. Let, I know about the hammer. Let me, let me commentate on the hammer. God, you don't, I just don't know anything about hammer. You know, and, and it's, it's actually... Not as simple as, as that. Um, I mean, yes, everybody can talk and everybody could have a pop at it, but uh, I think the majority of people would probably flounder. Um, the essentials are to be able to speak, I think, to, especially as a lot of the work I do is, is world feed, and that means you know, pictures that are going out to the world at 100 different countries and 100 different um, takers. You've got to be able to speak good, clear English. You've got to be able to learn the disciplines of commentary you know you don't talk across pictures which is a very common mistake people just chat away no matter what comes up on the screen whether it's result captions or start lists or whatever they'll just be waffling on about the point they're waffling on about and that's that's not that's not a great practice um 
you've got to also bear in mind that people are going to be editing your, your programme. If you're doing world, a, a live programme, people will be editing it and, and trying to chop it up into meaningful bits so they can get a highlights package of half an hour out of it. And if you don't, a results caption or a start caption, appear, start list appears on the screen. If you don't go in with a fresh, and there's the start list for blah, 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 and then shut up, they can't clip out that 15 seconds and stick it in the highlights. If, you're, if, you're, if your commentary is just complete waffle through everything that's going on, there's nowhere they can get in and out when they're chopping and creating the, the edit, editing so the highlights. So you're mindful of that edit. In your you have to be mindful of that. It's almost second, second nature to, once, once you've been at it for long enough. And you've had the training I got from Darkie and Stuart all those years ago. Mm. Um, what about economy of language when you're doing like sprint and stuff like that, like 100 metres? Yeah, well it helps to be able to speak reasonably clearly and reasonably fast. It helps to be able to pronounce foreign names or at least have a stab at them. And being able to call a race, go through the gears of your of emotion and excitement as that 1500 gets to its climax. Not waffling away about irrelevant stuff when we're on the back straight of a last lap. Um, knowing when to talk about a charity. In, in an 800, you know, whether you should at all, <laughs> that sort of thing, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of inexperienced people getting, getting opportunities at commentating and, and some of them are doing a pretty good job, some of them are, are making a, a bit of a mess of it and, I'm, you know, obviously I'm not going to mention any names, but yeah, I like to think it's not nearly as easy as, as many people make out mm. or want to think. And what about, like, you're talking about going through the emotions, like, is there, or have there been times in your career where the athlete kind of side of you has sort of got in the way of the professional side and you've been kind of carried away with the with the drama that you've been seeing unfold like on the track and stuff yeah i guess so i mean like, are the races that spring to mind where you've maybe had to check yourself a little bit because it's just been so compelling oh god yeah yeah because if, if you know me that off off camera off mic i'll use quite colorful language but <laughs> that, that cleanses my soul for the two hours of commentary coming up but um yeah, you know, I, I make I make loads of mistakes. Everybody makes a few mistakes, and 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 I'll I'll say something, and it, and the trouble is with live TV, which is the vast majority of what we do. You know, once it's out there, it's 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 you can't unsay it. Um, it's very unforgiving. Live electronic media is with its radio TV is. No, just being molested by a dog here. <laughs> no, oh my God, isn't he gorgeous? Good with chips. So with all your. I mean, encountering all these different sporting events, all these different things you're commentating. What was what was your first impression when you first encountered Night of the Ten Ks? Oh boy, Night of the Ten Ks. Um, well, I, th- I guess I'd heard about it for a couple of years, and I think the first time I went was about four yeah. years ago, and it was uh, it, it was phenomenal. It, it was every every bit as good as I'd, I'd been told. You know, you've got you've got what had you heard? Like what had well, been on the grapevine? I think I'd it? seen pictures and, and heard about the fact that you know. S- s- great racing takes place great, t- great 10,000 meter racing and you know that everybody who turns up is a fan of exactly that you know it was it's a bit like if you had a sprint festival you're not going to get busloads of marathon runners pouring in um and 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 by the same token you know a 10,000 meter meeting you have to appreciate distance running you have to have understand middle and long distance running and the tactics therein and, and it helps enormously if you are a runner and you've experienced the 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 the, the success and the failures and the, the the pain of the long sunday runs and the, the the hard track sessions on a winter cold winter night you know i think um what what's great about night of the 10,000s is it's it's unique in that there isn't another uk night of distance running like that um therefore people are turning up to this one very special occasion in the year whether it's a couple of thousand of them or more 
and they're all pulling in the same direction. Everybody wants it to be a great night. You know what you're going to get with it. It does what it says in the tin. There's beer, there's a tent down the home straight, there's booming music, there's flames firing all over the place, there's a DJ screaming away, there's, there's, there's a real buzz to it. And, and I'd heard about all that, and then when you go and watch, witness it for the first time, guess what? It delivers. It, it, it's, it's, it is that good. It's, it's a really good evening out. Um, and, and the fact I can't go this year is, is really frustrating. I was, I was down to go until about three weeks ago when a big event in India that I do most normal years was confirmed as taking place. So I'm heading off to Bangalore a couple of days before night of the 10,000s. I, I would love to be there. James Thee has been able to step in. I think James is going to be doing the, the, the commentary, the live streamed commentary. James, everybody knows, is a fantastically successful coach, was a damn good athlete himself, 1,500-metre runner, and, and a lovely, lovely bloke. And that generally that comes over in commentary. I think, you know, if, if somebody's uh, a, a sound fella, then, 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 then you, you can... You can sort of hear that in what they say and I know James will do a fantastic job he'll he'll over service it he'll do tons of prep you know you have to these things take hours and hours of preparation unless there is a statistician allocated by the meeting um who who will do the cards for each race then you know you're talking with 30 people in each race and there's a, a bunch of 10,000s and there's the Emsley car mile well yeah there's we'll come the, on to that yeah. what it malicent force at women's mile I mean you know that that is hours and hours of preparation, and, and that's a, another asset that people don't see. You know, people people think you just turn up and talk. And people say to me, "Oh, you've got a good memory," and I'm like, "No, I haven't. I've got a bloody awful memory. I, it's written down, mate. It's written down. I can, I can just read." <laughs> now you talk then about the having a, an appreciation and an understanding of the discipline of the distance of of the ten thousand meters in in particular, and one of the things if you go onto the night of the ten k's website. Um, they want to make that distance like aspirational for people like what is some of the having been on both sides of it witnessing it as a commentator and obviously as an athlete what are some of the specificities and the demands of that distance from an athlete's perspective oh boy I mean I think um, you can't you can't blag a 10,000 you've got to be well prepared I think you can you can get away with an 800 and maybe even a 1500 you can you know if you're if you're, you're talented and you, you've, you've got your what training you've been able to do right. You can actually go into middle, some middle distance races uh, 75%, 80% fit and, and actually still have a pretty good experience. Whereas I think the things about 5,000 and 10,000 in particular is they find you out. So if you, if you try and go to a 10,000, unless you absolutely accept your level of fitness and set off at a realistic pace, you're going to have a horrible experience. It's 25 laps, you know, and I think Brendan Foster said the race starts at 20 laps. Uh, and, and what he meant was, if you're really well conditioned, you should be able to go out there and, 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 and blast through the first 20 laps and actually get to that, that, that eight kilometre point feeling OK and in control. And then you put your racing head on and, and you, you, try, you try and really nail it in those last four What's or five that laps. Switch? What's that switch then from 8K for the last two when the racing head gets put on? Well, I think you sort of feel as though... I, 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 th I think, you know, I, mean, I didn't run that many 10,000s and, and you know, I never broke 28 minutes. I was just getting stuck into it when this hamstring injury kicked in and that was it, I was gone. Um, but, but from what I know is that, you know, you've got to get to 8K feeling okay. You've got to be building up to it psychologically. You've got to be screwing up your focus and your courage, so to speak, for, those, for that last mile or so. And um, I think if you're, if you're in a, a bad state and you're really struggling at 8K, then you're not really thinking about smashing those last four or five laps. You're just thinking about survival. And that's, that's a very different state of mind. So if you can get to 8K 
and be right here we go this is where i'm racing now and i can i can win this or i can get in the first three i've got a kick left in me you're in you're in a very um superior position to probably 80 percent of the guys behind you mm. you know you're in you get to 8k you're down to the last four or five guys in the race or whatever it may be um you're, you're thinking about racing from that point up to that point really you're just clicking away the laps mm. and you sh- unless you're in supreme shape and you've been able to to go out in front and lead it you shouldn't really have got too involved in the in the racing over the first seven or eight k i think you just you just need to be getting those laps behind you and then and then focusing upon your strategy for the last mile and who are there any masters do you think at that particular distance from your kind of experience from on both sides of the coin that really stand out to you when it comes to 10,000 meters well i mean you know if i was to go back to my rivals Eamon martin was was brilliant i mean Eamon, when he was on song was was an in, incredible 10,000 meter racer he was built for 10,000 he was strong as a bull he was had an incredible kick he had a couple of gears above people like me that you know i, I always wish i'd had and Eamon was very good at just sitting in there, doing what was necessary, positioning himself right with a couple of laps to go, and then, and then blasting over the last two or three hundred. And and you know you you can you can go back to those years and look at say the way Brendan used to race. You know Brendan was a great racer, Brendan Foster, and and you can come up to the modern era. You know Brendan in the seventies, Eamon in the eighties. You come up to the modern era, and actually, the the African Revolution has created less racing so much as time trialing. I think as as to be the more common version of, of distance running you know you look you look at chapter guy and people like that there's not much racing involved when you're running 26 30 you everybody's gone out the back door laps and laps ago you know mm. so so it's it's changed the dynamic of, of distance racing and almost actually middle distance racing you know you look at and, and you know and of course he's not Af- african but you look at look at um your norwegian family and and you get uh, the ingebritsons you look at jacob and you know, he, he can just run 56s all day. So it's taken the strategy out of middle distance racing, really. I mean, he's running 328 to win the Olympic Games at a canter, almost, it seems. And, I mean, yeah, he got beaten in the world indoors the other day, but, you know, he, he was, it looks like he was, he was on the front end of getting COVID. Um, I think he came down with COVID he did, two or three just, days later. Just afterwards, yeah. Um, you know, the guy's engine is incredible. But what, what they, they've done really well under the tutelage of the father and, 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 and now I think Henrik is, is doing the coaching, is they've identified that actually, you know, in the 80s, everybody, and, 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 and for many years since, people would run a last lap of, I don't know, 51, 52, 53. It was all about that blasting that last lap. I mean, Crammy, when he ran his 3.46 mile world record as it was then, he ran a last lap of 53, which is insane. That's insane. You know, and what, what the Ingebrigtsens have done is they've gone, well, actually, if we just run 56, 56, 56, a 56 final lap will be just fine, thank you very much. You know, there's no need, <laughs> there's no need to run a 52. Don't need to have that speed. You know, I don't know what Jakob's best 800 is, but I don't think he's broken 145. I don't think I'm not so. entirely sure he's broken 146. Um, you know, it, it, they've made 800 meter running irrelevant. And what's happened over the last 20 years or so, actually, is that 1500 has become a very specific dist, di, uh, distance, very specific art, 1500 meter racing. So, but you started to touch on the mile, though. I don't know, how did I get into the mile? I, well, <laughs> hey, I, no, but, <laughs> but it, it brings us nicely onto the, the Elmsley Car Mile, which is going to be part of the night of the 10,000. And you, you've been involved in it. 
as an athlete in 78 as well. So for the uneducated, could you give us a bit of a bit of an overview of what the Elmsley Car Mile is and then maybe we could yeah, dive into the, the specificities from rather than 25 laps of four and a, four and a bit? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I love the fact the Elmsley Car Mile has been given a high-profile position in the night of the 10,000s, you know, and people need to know about it. I mean, it's been going since the, the 50s, I think. Elmsley Car was, I think... Uh, an editor of the News of the World and uh, set up this 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 race with a big trophy and there's a famous book which all winners get to sign I never did sadly um, and uh, it is a big mile race held every year and, and and I think virtually every big name from British Middle Distance Running has uh, has, has won it funnily enough Crammy hasn't and one or two lesser lights have, but that's just the, the fortunes of war. Um, and it's it's a great mile race, you know, with a, with a wonderful history. If you look at the people who've won it, obviously Seb's won it. I think Steve Ovet's won it. Um, and it is a uh, it's 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 a lo- lovely tradition. I mean, I think the mile is a super distance. The very fact that actually it's run continental Europe, all over the world, and yet it's a very British distance. You know, there's a there's a thing called Norwegian Mile, which actually is 10k. Yeah, you see, you're, uh-huh. you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, just, you're confused expression exactly. here. Listeners. Nobody knows this. You look up Norwegian Mile; it's 10k, um, and the British Mile resonates all over the world, even though it's it's kind of a foreign word to most why nationalities. Do you th- why do you think it resonates so much? I think because it's four laps. It's four laps in a few yards, and um, I think four minutes was a lovely barrier that gave it massive, almost sort of legendary profile back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and then. When it happened, of course, it was um, it was so special. It was you know it was in a sporting world where athletics was much higher profile than it is now. In a way, you know, there wasn't cricket hadn't got its act together in the same way. Rugby triathlon didn't exist. Swimming wasn't as big a sport. You know, athletics was one of the great sports, and and thank God still is. But it's it's battling, it's having to fight for its position now. But when Bannister did that. I think it just it resonated around the world. The mile is a distance because it's four laps of the track that the Commonwealth certainly can get its head round, if not if not another 150 countries necessarily. Um, and it's just a convenient distance. It's also a nice span of time. You know, the 800 and 1500, a lovely span of time, each of them, for, mm-hmm. for concentration. You know, floating voters, whether they like athletics or not, can enjoy a middle distance race. You haven't got to sit there for half an hour and get your head round mm-hmm. subtleties of a 10,000. 800 1500 are the perfect. They're, they're moving at such speed, but it lasts three or four minutes. I love sprinting. I love hundreds and two hundreds, but actually blink and you've missed it. Mm. You know, the 800 and 1500 have got a lovely time span in which to really get into the race and scream at your TV and in, in, enjoy what unfolds. And what's the art, do you think, of the mile? Like we were talking about the tactics of the 10,000, you were saying, you know, being patient till the 8K and then kicking on. Like with the mile, what's the, what had been your approach to it when yeah. you were racing it? I mean, I think, I think, I think you've, you've, A, you've got to go into it with this subtle blend of speed and strength mostly speed actually now it's so fast if you want to break four minutes you've got to have good speed in your legs and then be able to kick off it at the end um positioning i think is is, is really important you know you see people get themselves in the most ridiculously awful positions in middle distance races and approaching the bell they're boxed in near the back of the field and you're thinking what are you doing back there you know i'll just be screaming at people in my mind in championships and i'm trying to commentate in a civil way and your your, your, <laughs> your mind is your mind is going how what are you doing there you've got 450 to go you're approaching the bell you've got most of the field in front of you most of them are you've got to come around them and be faster than them over the last 300 it's not going to happen you know and you, you some people do not have good racing brains some people have naturally good racing brains and 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 uh i've never quite understood why people can't learn to race and position themselves better 
Um, so positioning, that's one key. It, it, it's one key, and it's, I think it's being able to get to the bell in a mile um, in reasonable shape. You, you know, again, same sort of thing. You've got to be able to get to the point where the racing really starts pretty comfortable and with a couple of gears left. You know, I, I was never gifted with, with great speed. I mean, I've run 354, but that was that that was just because Graham Williamson, who was a great legendary runner back in the 80s, who was a big rival of Crammy, uh, but just his career was blighted by injury and he still ran 350 for a mile. Graham Williamson at Meadowbank in Scotland, in Edinburgh, um, led the race and just kicked really hard from 800 out. We all just followed Pied Piper style and got dragged around with the last 800 or 154 or something. And I ran 354 and at the end of it, I was like, Blimey, if I can run 354 in that kind of a race, then then I can run a lot faster. And I never did. Um, and that's that. That's my PB, 354. But but I managed to get that sort of time because I was strong with a reasonable speed, not because I've got I was gifted with great speed. Um, the best milers, of course, get to the bell and they've got two or three gears left, you know. And the, uh, that's why I used to love watching Crammy and, and Seb and Steve Ovette race back in the 80s because they, they'd got gears that other people hadn't got, you know. And it was, uh, you watched it with sort of, admiration envy and hatred and, and you know after one down the home straight behind all three of them i think a few times uh, watching them disappear into the distance um and it, yeah now all these 30 years later you just look back and you think wow those guys were were, were talented and what a period it was for british middle listeners running you know, we can you were... remember your emsley carmel in 78 can you remember the race oh god yeah not, not every step but absolutely because i was uh, i was 19 i'd run whole bunch of miles in sort of 401, four minutes, 402 that summer, probably over-raced, but came to the Emsley Car Mile and the Commonwealths were coming and um, uh, I think John Robson won from Graham Williamson and then it was Brendan and Crammy and me, but we all went ran a long way under four minutes. Uh, but it was no different to any other race I'd run that summer. I know, busting gut, it's just, again, I think, a middle and middle distance racing and anything up to 5,000 and 10,000 as well, really. It's about the race you get in. And that day I just got dragged round at a really good, healthy tempo. And um, it was a very special day. And of course, because it was prehistoric times and no no colour TV or no colour photographs in magazines, the very few pictures I've got are black and white. And um, I cherish them. Yeah, yeah you know, you, 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 it'd be wrong to say that anybody who's broken four minutes isn't proud of their first four minute mile but um you know now looking back in the fullness of time you just re feel really privileged to have been part of it mm. it's just extraordinary when you you, you you talk very lightly about that thing of going under four minutes for a mile me and aaron were talking about it just in the car like the, the physical toll to go to to race <laughs> at that speed that most people wouldn't even sprint if they were trying to chase a bus or something like that like i mean physically can you articulate what that is is like when you're at that level well do you know what's funny is because i'm now 63 and i've got a sore calf at the moment so i can't even go for a jog uh, and I, I waddle around most weeks three or four times i'll go out for a half an hour 40 minute jog I'm, I'm way past ever being able to do a track session again or run a lap in 60 seconds or sprint down uh, sprint 100 meters you know it's i, I could probably if i dedicated my life to it get in reasonable shape but I'm, I, I i haven't done a training session for years and I, I look back very favourably on the times when my body was young enough and I was able to bang out track sessions, whether it was eight three hundreds or twenty four four hundreds or six by thousand or whatever it may be, and, and, and remember that feeling. And I think most ex-runners never lose that memory of what it was like to be powerful and young and fluid and loose and able to do almost anything you wanted. You know, it's um 
I look back on it now and I think, wow, that was a good time. And I wasn't, but I was lucky to make the most of it. And I think that's the thing is, you know, if you, if you can look back on a career or a period of your life where you've given your everything to a challenge and you've tried really, really hard and you've come away with a degree of success, then, then you've just got to be grateful for that, you know, that opportunity. And if you came away without much success, but you tried damn hard, that's great as well. Mm. I think the thing is to always have taken the opportunity and, 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 and given it a go. What were some of the bread and butter, thinking of the mile, what were some of the bread and butter sessions that you used to do, training for the mile? Oh, God, I suppose, you know, the old traditional thing, 10 400s off a minute. Mm. You know, if you could run 60 for each of those, then that, the people always regarded that as roughly meaning you could run four minutes for the mile. don't know how much truth there is to that now. But um, Frank Horwell, my old coach back in the 80s, was, was very into big, chunky sessions, you know, so it would be 16 400s off, off 30 seconds or... Uh, off diminishing recoveries, so you'd go six. The recoveries would be 60, 45, 30, 15 seconds. He he liked a lot of short recovery stuff too, Frank. You know, so you'd be doing 800s off off 45 seconds of recovery and that sort of thing. And there was there was a time and place for it. I mean, I think you know, training knowledge and techniques have moved on a lot to the point where now people realise that you can't just bash away with a sledgehammer at what you want to achieve. There has to be a lot of far more delicate work done with a scalpel, almost, so to speak, to create a contrast. Um, you know, uh, Are there training techniques that you see now that you wish you had back then? Like oh, God, yeah. yeah, yeah no, I loved, I, I loved and... lot in the late 80s. Okay. When, I'd, when I'd finished with Frank, um, I, uh, Dave Bedford helped me out for a couple of years. Dave, okay. Dave, and Dave was great because he'd made so many mistakes himself. I mean, the best coaches are ex-athletes who have been there and done it and made loads of errors and are trying to improve the next generation and guide them around those same errors. Uh, and, and Dave taught me that, you know, you, you can actually, sometimes you can go to the track and do two 800s off 15 minutes rest. And that is a really good way of sharpening up. Um, Frank would never have done that. Frank, Frank didn't incorporate that into his, it wasn't part of his... Did he feel you had to come away from a session just completely done? Like yeah, completely yeah. cut. No, absolutely right. You know, and, and I mean, it's, I've, I've, people might have heard me say this before, but you know, I remember very distinctly reading something by Peter Coe where he said, you know, that you can you can do a training session if you, if a training session is going really well and you've done two thirds of it, you actually sometimes should have the the balls to to stop and say that's it, let's bank that. There's no need to bang out the final third and prove anything to anybody. Mm. Um, I've, I've I've actually done just right there, so stop, and and that takes a lot of guts in a way, because actually, are you? There'll be always be that nagging little thing in the back of your mind to, which says uh, you're bottling it. You yeah. Know, this, yeah. These, these last four reps are the really hard ones, so why are you missing out them? But actually, um, save that for the race day. Save no? it for race day. Yeah. You know. So so I mean, I, you know, there was something on social media a couple of days ago saying, you know most sessions should be about 70 or 80 percent don't 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 always squeeze out that last 10 20 percent and it's and it's it's what it is wise words you know and, and i think frank frank came from the f- generation of the 40s and 50s where everything was swashbuckling and tough and macho and you know if you if you weren't busting a gut in training you weren't tough enough and you weren't getting the best out of yourself whereas in actual fact what's happened a lot more in recent years is a there's a lot more peripheral types of training strength and conditioning you know that the, the term core strength didn't exist in the 80s nobody core strength they'd go what you mean do a few sit-ups you know and now there are so many more subtleties to strength and conditioning gym work pool work ice baths pressure socks i mean just 
it, it's a totally different world. I, I look back on what we were doing in the 80s, and yeah, we got a lot out of ourselves, and some guys ran very, very fast, but it was nothing compared with what, what is the knowledge that is available now. Um, I say it was nothing. It was probably 85% of the cake, but I think now the, the, the um, marginal gains, are when you pull them all together cumulatively, they can make that extra 10% difference. And looking forward, we, we touched on a little bit there, where you were talking a bit about where athletics is now compared to where it was when when you were an athlete. I mean, if you were going to take like a, you know, the, the vitals of athletics at the moment, like a health check, I mean, where do you think it is at the moment? Uh, and how do events like Night of the 10Ks help in potentially improving its future? Yeah, it's, well, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's there's athletics and then there's the world of distance running. And I think, you know, you, you can almost separate the two because marathon running road running and distance running um 10,000 meters is is you know and park run that is a world that is <coughs> excuse me strong and numerically very healthy and is going places but it's almost a, a community of its own whereas you look at track and field athletics and it's a sport that is generally stadium based lots of lots of sprinting and and, and jumping and throwing which are a million miles away from running a 10,000 or, or running a half marathon or whatever. So they're, they're almost two different worlds. And I, I, what saddens me is that track and field athletics should be a lot healthier than it is. You know, the Diamond League, I think, is generally a very good force for good. And I think it's great that Seb Co has come in since 2015 and tried to improve the lot of athletics on the global level. The calendar has been tidied up incredibly well in the last couple of years, the, the, the competition calendar. How do we make it aspirational then for people like in the way that like and you have direct experience of this with the bright marathon like in the way the marathon is so ubiquitous and aspirational how do we think we can make athletics as aspirational because i've only just recently well i've joined my local ac probably about two and a half three years ago and i'm gutted that i didn't join it sooner because i feel like i've just dipped my toe into this world and i felt i feel like frustrated i haven't discovered it sooner so how do we think we can make it more aspirational for people well, I think um, one of the problems with athletics is that it is still very popular. There are still, you know, loads and loads of kids who want to go to athletics clubs and take up the sport. And um, who was I talking to the other day? I was talking to somebody and they were saying their athletics club is inundated with applications, but there aren't enough coaches. There is a, mm. there's a dire shortage of coaches at a lot of clubs in this country. Um, that, that is a big problem. The sport itself needs to sort of try and come up with a new version that doesn't require 30 officials at some little Southern League match. You know, the, the officiating new numbers are, are, are frightening and, and, and frankly not sustainable in this day and age. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I, th I think the sport's still got massive potential to regain a lot of its, its high ground from years gone by. Um, I think Seb Coe and John Ridgen down in Monte Carlo at World Athletics are doing as good a job as they can and I think it's wonderful news that Jack Buckner is taking over as CEO of British Athletics. Jack's an old rival of mine, a great bloke, he's done an incredible job at British triathlon, he's done an incredible job at British swimming and now coming into athletics. I think that is a, a real ray of sunshine for the sport and you know Jack will know there are certain things he's got to focus upon, he'll have a really good team around him after a difficult couple of years at the Federation. I think we can be looking very positive about the way the UK Federation is going to uh, treat the sport and prioritise the right things in this next five, six years. What do you think they're going to be prioritising? Uh, I would prioritise um, exposing 
uh, kids to track and field athletics. Uh, somehow putting together a structure whereby there is more money going into clubs so that coaches can come in and uh, educate the kids into the, the subtleties of the different skills. Um, athletics needs to boast more about what, is, what are its positives. Mm, I think the boasting thing is the key. I think we should be yeah, more willing to, to celebrate. And that's why I think like, like the 10Ks is the sort of perfect example of that. Like it's a real celebration. Yes, it is. Yeah, no, damn right. And, and you know, actually, I, I would love to see something equivalent that is the night of the 5Ks. And, and the, you know, the British Milers Club has an in, done an incredible job yeah. at making, making British Milers Club middle distance festivals all over the country, high profile and, and giving people great opportunities. And, you know, people are coming from abroad now to race in British Milers Club races because they're, they're so well organised and they know they'll get great racing opportunities. And that's a huge feather in the cap of, uh, of, of all the guys at the BMC who I know work really, really hard to, to, to maintain their profile and their, their race series. I mean... Yeah, Night at the 10,000s is what it is. It's a fantastic night of racing. Um, it's really well organised by Ben. Uh, and in a way, I suppose it's a bit sad that it's just the one night um, in, in, in May each year. I would love it if there was something mid-summer and there was something late-summer as well. You know, there are not enough 10,000 metre races around anyway. There are not enough opportunities for people to get good 5,000s. The guys who are sort of between club level and international level, guys who are running between, I don't know, 14 minutes and 13.30, can't get into races on the circuit. Mm. There, there aren't many racing opportunities for them, and that's a sort of a bit of a vacuum, if you like, at, at 5,000 metres. And the reason I'm talking about 5,000 is because it is kind of the meeting ground of middle distance and long distance. You know, if you can, if you can get really fit for 5,000, you, you're, you're in shape to run a pretty good 800, and you can probably make a reasonable stab at a half marathon. Mm. It's a lovely fitness to have. It's a very elusive fitness, but it's a really lovely fitness to have. Um, and and I, I would love to there to be a an equivalent of the night of the 10,000s at 5,000 metres. Put it out there. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, no. I know, I know. If I just Would you would you turn your organisational skills from Brighton Marathon and maybe uh, take a swing at sort of creating something Yeah, like I'd that? love to. I'd love to. I think it's a case of uh, finding the time, you know. At yeah. the moment, you can, you, sometimes you can be too close to the wood to see the trees. And I'm, <laughs> in many respects, I suppose that's me with my, my commentary career. You know, I mean, at the moment, I'm looking at being working abroad five out of the next six weekends. Um... I'm in India, the USA, all over Europe, you know, and, and, and those, I'm a one-man business. I do all my own admin. Um, if, I had, if I had an office, uh, and I don't earn enough to have an office and have three or four staff working with me on it, but if I did, then, then yes, I'd have a bit more time to sort of kick back and look at these other opportunities in life. Mm. So time is probably the most precious commodity. Yes, 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 yes. And just, just thinking of, like, with all the commentating and all the, the kind of current coverage you're... you're you're part of like in terms of the current stable of athletes that are out there and perhaps athletes that may be rocking up on may 14th are there any athletes out there that are particularly exciting for you to watch as a commentator Ooh, god now that's you're a, trying to nail me down that's a that's a that's an expansive big know, old question I no I th I, what i think is 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 great is that um like who gets you really excited of like where they could potentially go I think Ailish, Ailish McColgan, mm. has got an enormous potential at 10,000. You know, she's, she's proven she's got the strength at half marathon. Uh, she's done great road 10Ks. She's done good road 5Ks. Um, she's got good middle distance strength. She's got great 1,500, 3,000 ability. I don't think Ailish has scraped the surface of what she's capable of at 10,000 yet. You know, I think she's shocked a lot of people. I can remember Liz, her mum, saying to me a few years ago, you know, Ailish is banging out sessions 
that I could never do. Mm. And at the time, she hadn't done anything in racing to reflect that. But that was probably, to be fair, that was probably five or six years ago. And my God, is it coming to fruition now, you know? Mm. Um, so Ailish on, on the women's side. And on the men's side, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of guys. Um, and I'm trying to think of, of any specific names, somebody who's stuck their head above the parapet yet. Uh, and, and I think that what's good is that we've got a, a bunch of guys who are capable of breaking 28 minutes. You know, I think Mo has created a real surge in the popularity of, of, of long distance racing. And these guys are coming along in his, his wake, so to speak. So um, I, don't, I haven't seen the, the lineups for night, mm. the night of, you know, you just know it'll be good racing. Jake Smith, maybe Emil Caress. Like. Jake, yeah. Well, he's gone off to NN, hasn't he? And um, is is I think probably focusing more upon his marathon debut, mm. um, or at least a proper marathon debut, because he ran. Because there's opportunities there for these athletes as well with the night of the 10Ks, because there's there's multiple kind of qualifying opportunities tied into the event as well. No, that's right. That's right. I mean, you know. It, it, I think it's trials. Is it trials for the world? Well, selection, Commonwealth, European. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and that that matters. I think a race has so much more significance when you know that it's the results get you into something. Stakes, else. yeah. Yeah, the stakes are high. Um, boasting rights, uh, and this is a unique summer in that you know you look at look at the the worlds and then the Commonwealth and then the Europeans. It's, it's a crazy summer in, in that respect, and more opportunities for people to do that. You know, there's, there, we will need ten thousand meter runners in each of those. Mm. Um, that's never happened before. Mm. And for the for the uninitiated, perhaps people who have no concept or they've never been connected to athletics or anything, who are maybe considering that there's this there's this Glastonbury of athletics that's happening in Parliament Hill in May. Why do you think they should give it a shot and come along on May 14th? And turn up and watch with mm, the spectators because there's just a buzz you know it's like and it's free entry too you know Gla- Gla- what's glasto these days 150 200 <laughs> quid i mean i love the phrase glastonbury of athletics but actually it's, it's it's slightly different in terms of cost no and you know turn up it pick up the buzz grab yourself a burger grab a couple of tinnies and and sit back and watch wonderful racing it's it, you know well delivered uh, announcing on the night um, it is a, it's, it's just a really good night and I love that um, almost claustrophobic feel to the stadium because it's got a little bowl element to it on the banking on, down the home straight. He, he gets it so right, he, he does everything well and if you, you just like good sport, good racing, good buzzing atmosphere, a burger in one and a can of something tasty in the other hand then, then, then it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful night out and uh, the fact you don't have to pay to get in is, is a real winner. Brilliant. Tim, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. That's, that's, that's awesome. I'm sold. I'm there. I'm getting a ticket. I'm, I'm I gone. I know. I know. I'm thinking, how can I be in two places at once? I, I want to be thinking, there. Like, can we connect you? Like, is there, can, <laughs> can there be like a Zoom link up or something? Well, or? I'll tell you what. If, if, uh, well, it is, it is being streamed, so I shall be watching. Fantastic. Brilliant. Cheers. Thank you so thank much, you. Tim. Great. A big thank you to Tim and to Aaron for capturing the day on tomorrow's episode. It's literally got the breakdown there for everyone to see ending in like 33.20, which would have been a PV. And I, that's what the aim was. Um, and that sort of went out the window before halfway, really. So don't limit yourself. I'll see you then for the big run.